Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, the uh, the relationship between us and God it's it's so deep, and um, uh, just the the more that we can grasp it, the the, the better off we are. Um, you know, I, I sometimes I refer to these talks as uh, couples therapy between us and God. You know, because it just sort of like basically all of life is 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 that primary relationship between between each one of us and 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 God. And you know, without without sounding too grim, but just kind of trying to drill down to the reality of uh, existence for a moment. Um, Basically, everything can be taken away from a person, but as long as we're alive, we, we always have that relationship with God. So that, that is the most primary thing, you know? And, um, and it, can be, it can be the most beautiful thing, but um, like any, any serious relationship, it has its ups and downs. So the more we can sort of like um, really understand our partner, so to speak, the, 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 the more we'll be able to get the, the maximum... Um, you know, pleasure and, and, and benefit out of, out of just uh, existence. So in that spirit, um, let's, let's try to explore the relationship between us and God on a deeper level. Normally speaking, we, we kind of um, start from, let's say, from the below to the above, meaning to say that we, 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 we think of ourselves as, the, as, as sort of like the, the beginning point, which makes sense since we inhabit our own consciousness. And then we we take it from there. But you can also reverse it and you can look at it the other way. And I know I'm not communicating yet, but, but we're going to get into this now. So let me, let me begin with what, what, you know, a lot of the uh, Rashis on Chumash um, have uh, very sort of detailed grammatical sort of um, explanations. And you know, I, I, a lot of times I don't follow the, the point that they're making beyond, beyond what, what the grammatical point is. But if Rashi is bringing a very subtle grammatical difference uh, in, 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 in the word, then he's for sure making a very great point. Um, but I, I would say that 99% of the time I don't grasp it. This Shabbos uh, was a rare exception, <laughs> and I, maybe I'm reading into it, I don't know, but it's sort of like he makes a, he points out something that seems just, in fact, Rashi quotes in, in another place, there are certain passages in the Torah that cry out, please darshan me, please, you know, please explain the depths of me, you know, and this was like one of these Rashis that just sort of like, just, it seems to be very technical, and yet at the same time, it's just, um, it's just sort of like crying out to be explained in a sort of a, um, a, a deeper way. So, so with that introduction, it, it, um, the, the, the phrase is Vayamesh uh, Hoshech, um, okay? And that means that it, it's talking about the, the plague of darkness. Um, it's uh, Rashi's explanation. It's in Parsha's bow. It's in chapter 10, uh, verse 21, if you want to see the Rashi inside. So... Um, so let me just set the stage, and then we can uh, uh, understand what uh, Rashi is saying over here. Regarding the plague of darkness um, that was visited on the, uh, on the Egyptians, um, it, it was for three days, and it says that the, uh, the darkness will become darker. That's, that's, that's the phrase. The darkness will become darker. And, you know, if, uh, 
what I had been understanding the plague of darkness up until now, well, I understood that it was a palpable darkness, um, meaning to say that it was so dark, there was almost like a, a physicality to it. It says people couldn't get out of their chairs. And it wasn't just because of um, deep levels of fear, but it was also that the darkness itself had like a, this tangible quality to it that they almost couldn't lift themselves out of their chairs because the darkness was weighing on them. So um, that, that's one aspect uh, of this plague of darkness. Um, but, but what is this idea? I, I imagine that once that plague hit, that it, that it was just like that, right? Um, of course, we know one of the miraculous aspects um, was that for the Jews, they had light. So there, there was this amazing simultaneous thing where, where Jews could walk into the Egyptian area and it would be simultaneously light for the Jews and this very, you know, incredible darkness for the Egyptians all at the same time. It's, it's reminiscent of the, um, the, uh, the fiery hail that came down because hail was made, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's icy snow. That's what hail is. It's actually pieces of ice, but at the same time it was on fire. Of course, fire melts ice. So how can you have these two things exist simultaneously? But this was one of the, Amazing aspects of the plague that of the plague said that Hashem was showing his complete mastery over nature that that it's not that um, Hashem that nature works for God and that nature is a separate entity that works for God But that there's no there's no difference that God is the master that there's only one power It's not two powers. It's only one power so if there's one power, then God can combine opposites and there's no problem whatsoever. So Hashem was demonstrating his complete mastery and oneness over the universe with these plagues. But let's return back to the plague of darkness. So, so the idea is that not just that it was this incredible darkness, but as the, as the Torah is telling us, it says that the darkness became darker. So what's that aspect of it? This was uh, new for me. It says, Rashi's bringing that during the day it was dark, and then at nighttime, it became even darker. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. It wasn't this is one stage of darkness. It was, it was dark, and then it would become darker, and then it would become darker and darker, even within the darkness itself. So that was, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty pretty heavy. So now listen to this. Here's now the Rashi. Rashi points out that this word, Vayamesh, um, normally speaking, um, is spelled with the letter Aleph. Okay? So, so the way it's spelled right here is just Vav Yud Mem Shin, and there's no Aleph in this word for darkness. But um, normally speaking, Rashi says, really, you spell this word for darkness with the letter Aleph, but the Torah is bringing this word when describing the plague of darkness, and it has no Aleph. It's spelled without an Aleph. Okay, so that's the thing that seems to be crying out to be explained, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned anyway. Okay, because we know, and we've said, uh, we've, we've talked, we've given many, many talks on the letter Aleph here. The letter Aleph is awesome. And just to review just um, the basic idea, Aleph, we know, is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
And so Aleph is the uh, numerical equivalent of the number one. And we know that God is one. So, so to speak, right there is one connection between the letter Aleph and God. We also know that the letter Aleph is composed of actually three letters that are combined. There's the upper Yud, there's the Vav, which sort of cuts across diagonally, and the lower Yud. And we know that if you add up those three letters, that's 10 plus 10 plus 6, that's 26, which is the numerical um, value of God's holiest name, the Tetragrammaton, the Yud-K, Vav-K, right? So, so we see here another example of how the letter Aleph stands for Hashem, right? And it's, it's even deeper than that, but, but let's, let's leave it for there. So isn't it interesting that the word for darkness, that darkness that got visited upon the Egyptians is spelled without the letter Aleph, meaning to say that what is darkness? What is the definition of darkness? The definition of darkness is when you're in a place where you're lacking your relationship with God. Right? Isn't that the definition of darkness? You know, so now let's go deeper in this idea. All right? We'll use this as a launching point. What is the word for Adam? Or rather, what is the word for um, a person? And this is man and woman. What, what is it? I'll say man, but I mean man and woman. What is the word for a person? It's Adam, right? Because remember, the first uh, human being that was created was a, was a combination of, of man and woman. There was either woman was attached to him simultaneously or, or when the rib was removed, woman was taken from inside man. So, so there you have, um, there you have the, the idea that Adam stands for man and woman. But anyway, what is, how is Adam spelled? It's the word Dam, Dalad Mem, which means blood. And there's this letter Aleph, which stands for God. And God is animating your blood. Meaning to say that Adam is, is, is this heaven and earth construct, right? It's, it's your flesh and blood, but it's being animated by a spark of God. That's the Aleph in the word Adam, right? Aleph plus Dam. Okay. So, so just, uh, just as an aside, there's um, something very nice. Since all human beings came from Adam, Adam also stands for Aleph Dalad Mem. Aleph stands for Adam. The Dalad stands for David HaMelech, King David. And the Mem stands for Mashiach. So in other words, here you have like the entire rolling out of the destiny of human beings contained within the first human being, right? It's all hinted at right there within his name. Um, so, so again, let's go further. So what is, this, what is this idea of the Aleph animating the Dham? So, so another way to say that is that's the, that's the soul of a person, right? The, the soul that's inside of you is this aspect of God. And we know that we have godliness inside of us, right? Um, and, 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 and a way to, but we're not God, right? And there's at least one major religion that really gets confused by that. Um, so I'll say it one more time. We have godliness inside of us, but a person is not God, 
right? That's, that's a very important distinction to understand. And, and, and a way to visualize this, another way to visualize this, is imagine an ocean, and an ocean has waves, right? So the wave isn't the ocean, but the wave is attached to the ocean and is an aspect of the ocean. So in this way, a person's soul is like a wave, right? The wave is not, right? Your soul is not God. But nonetheless, the wave itself is attached and is an outpouring of the greater entity, which is Hashem himself, right? So we have this aspect of godliness within us, and that's the soul. Okay. So now, with this in mind, let's go, let's go further. And now this is going to get, uh, you know, realer and into the, the here and now in terms of us kind of just trying to get through the day. So, so I heard uh, in the name of the Sasova Rebbe, one of the great Hasidic masters, um, a very, very intense teaching, which is, which is the idea that if a person is feeling a void within themselves, an emptiness or a pain within themselves, right? So, so most of us would, you know, understand that in, in many ways. But, but this is now getting back to the point that I was trying to make at the very beginning. Normally speaking, we understand our relationship with God from starting with ourselves and then sort of the below to the above, if you will. And then trying to understand what does God want from me? What is God doing with me? Why is this happening? All the rest. We understand, we're trying to sort of like understand God from the prism of our own emotion and, 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 and mental state. Okay. But the Sasova Rebbe does something which is amazing. He turns it completely upside down and he approaches the, the, the human drama from the above to the below. Now listen to this. He says that if a person is going through um, some pain, right, experiencing something difficult, what is that? That is Hashem sharing, and we have to say, we have to use this phrase, kaviyochel, meaning to say, so to speak, because we can't, we can't psychoanalyze God, and we can't personify God, Nonetheless, when, we, when, the, when the Torah talks about the finger of God or the hand of God or the eyes of God or whatever it is, the reason why the Torah uses language like that is because it's God himself is giving us a vocabulary and a point of reference for us to understand something that's beyond ourselves. But in other words, God is, is giving us this vocabulary to try to understand him better. Okay? And I saw from one of the Rebbe's that when it talks about the eyes of God, just to give one example, it's talking about a region in, in the heavenly spheres, which are, so to speak, the eyes of God, right? So, like, how they understand it in, in deeper ways gets, gets pretty far out. But anyway, let's return to this idea. If a person is experiencing something, a, a, a difficulty, or that that is Hashem, so to speak, right? That is Hashem, so to speak, sharing his pain with us, right? Because our soul is an extension of God. So now listen to this. So, so now this is, this is the amazing part. 
that in itself is, is quite a radical idea, but th- it gets more amazing, which is that therefore, so you say, well, I'm in pain though, right? But this pain then actually becomes a source to rejoice over. Why? Because God is sharing his pain with me. God is confiding in me, right? Like imagine if like someone like, someone who you like admire beyond, 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 right? Like, like whoever, like, like just to pick a name, imagine Bill Gates, right? Like says, listen, have you got, am I interrupting you? Have you got a few minutes? I'm going through something. I really, I really need your advice on this. Right? You'd be like, wow, like the richest man in the world wants to talk to me, wants my advice about something, right? So this is like, like eons, beyond, like, like quantum levels beyond that. This is Hashem himself is sharing his, some aspect of lacking, so to speak. Again, we, we always have to say so to speak because, you know, we can't humanize God. But nonetheless, this, there's a dynamic at work that we need a vocabulary to use to discuss. So then, to, let's take it one more step. If a person is even going through a bigger pain, right? Like, who do you tell your most intimate problems to? Only the person who you're absolutely the closest to. Right? Like, you would never tell your biggest, deepest, most horrible, embarrassing, whatever it is, Problems to someone who you hardly know, you know? So if you are experiencing something really intense, that's a sign of ultra-closeness. I mean, in a way, it's like incredibly flattering, right? Seen from this perspective. It's like amazing, like God is, like wants to share that with me? Like, wow, what did I do right? <laughs> you know, normally thinking, if you're going through some horrible trauma, you're like, what did I do wrong? And by the way, you have to ask yourself that question. You know, the Rambam says that if you don't, if you're going through some difficulty and you don't explore your, your actions, the, what may have gotten you into this, he uses the word axarius, which means cruelty. You're actually being cruel to yourself if you don't ask yourself, what did I do to possibly to have aroused this? All right, that's one perspective. That's one perspective, but you have to balance, you know, one has to have expanded consciousness. One has to balance all the different perspectives. From this perspective, it's like, what did I do right? <laughs> what did I do right? Because we have the concept that the, that the righteous also experience, you know, what's called Isurim Ba'ava, right? Which means that, you know, sometimes, sometimes Hashem, as a, as a kindness, will, will, will visit something on someone in order to sort of like clean their slate in this world. So that they, when they, when we arise, we, we, we get a, you know, we've got a totally clean slate and it's just like we got it all over with already. And um, we, we, uh, we mentioned it just briefly at the, at the very end last week, an example of this, which, which is, you know, very beautiful. And we, we just have to keep this in mind because, um, you know, it's like, uh, when my dad was diagnosed with with cancer, he he said some words that you know still amaze me to this day. He said, "Well, it's the beginning of an adventure, right?" Which was wow, you know that I I that's wow, 
you know, and um, and while he was going through all the medical tests and everything like that, all the things that, that happen when someone is diagnosed like that, um, you know, he, he shared with me one time, and he was a, a psychologist, so he was always very, you know, insightful about all, all these things. He said, you know, when a person is waiting on news, um, eventually they're going to imagine the worst case scenario. You know, because at a certain point you can try to stay upbeat and everything like that, but after a certain amount of time, <laughs> your mind just goes to the worst case scenario. And I think this is just human nature, right? So if a person is going through some kind of difficulty, at a certain point, they just kind of, they just, it's, 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 it's very understandable and perhaps on some level even inevitable that a person just kind of bottoms out in terms of this. Which is why teachings like what I'm about to tell you are so important to keep in mind. Because this is the fuller perspective. And, you know, God is functioning on so many different levels at all times, right? That, that it's important to, to keep this side of it in mind as well. So the example is, the teaching is, that, that uh, before, before God brought us the manna, right? The man, and by the way, that's the Torah portion of this week. Um, and this Tuesday, it's a great segula, a great um, sort of like mystical kind of like, um, you know, opening opportunity um, for, for livelihood to read over the portion of uh, receiving the, the man. And you'll see if you go online, you'll, you'll see the, 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 the you, you read it twice in, in Hebrew, that section, and then once in Aramaic, or if that's hard, you can do the Rashi, whatever. So, um, but anyway, this is like a great outpouring of love that came down in terms of this, this, this man, this, this man from heaven. And what was the man? It says in, in Gomorrah Yuma that it was basically, it was crystallized light, right? Like, like it was the food of angels, like in their dimension, they somehow can just absorb or, so to speak, photosynthesize the light where they are. But that light sort of like crystallized in this dimension, got some sort of form, and that's what the man was, right? So, so before God gave us this amazing gift, right, um, he made us like really hungry. <laughs> so in the real time, we were like, there's no food. I'm starving. What's going on? And meanwhile, God was just waiting to pour down this month. So this is an example of, of, of one of the ways that God runs the world. That sometimes we come to this place of lacking, but the lacking is just preparing us for this tremendous outpouring, which is in front of us. You know, I remember... One of the nicest things anyone ever said to me, ever, um, I was in, um, I was in this, uh, it was a Carvel, it was an ice cream store, and there was this person who was, it was like pretty small and tight, but someone walked in to the front who, you know, is unfortunately just, I mean, kind of out of their minds, you know, but kind of actually clinically crazy. And I thought, oh no, I can't, I can't. And, and I got it, I, 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 I got to go. And, um, and I'm sort of like trying to tiptoe out of the store, <laughs> which given the 
actual dimensions of this door was impossible. And the person stopped me and, and, they, and they said, about the nicest thing that anyone's ever said to me. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm such a jerk, you know. So um, the person said, you know, I think it was my birthday or it was their birthday. I don't remember what it was exactly. But they said, you know, um, you have no idea all the amazing things God is just waiting to give you. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm still moved by, by that, that, that they said it, because this person actually is a genuinely wonderful person, by the way. I probably should have led with that. <laughs> they really are. They're amazing. But, um, but that's true for all of us. And that's true for humanity itself. I mean, humanity itself is on the cusp of a tremendous era, you know? And that's, that's, that's the destiny of the world. And, and, you know, like, I always think it's important to understand there is a happy ending. You know, hopefully our lives in this world are, are enjoyable and we're making the most of them and, and all the rest. But no matter what our lives are in this world, everyone goes to the next world. And everyone has, you know, it says all the pleasures of this world combined. Every great moment of, you know, pleasurable, you know, experience that you've had, all combined, if you could all roll them up into one moment, can't compare to one moment in the next world, right? And the way that I, I understand that is, you know, if you have different, you know, imagine your, your tongue is very sensitive, like the tip of your tongue or your fingertips are very sensitive, right? But can you imagine how sensitive your soul is? Like, your soul is like, like if you talk about like nerve endings, right? Like, your soul is like beyond, like beyond all nerve endings, like complete nerve endings, so to speak. Now imagine if you take your soul and you take it out of your body and plug it into like the source of all light. <laughs> right? What, what is that? That's like crazy in terms of what the level of pleasure it's because you know the ramachal uses the word pleasure so we can actually use that word the the the, the pleasure that a person experiences is is like off the charts it's off the charts right um so so there's a happy ending for every single person's life and then of course the more mitzvahs you do Right? The more good, the more kindness, the more love that you do in this world, the more, so to speak, nerve endings you get. <laughs> right? Because you refine yourself, you develop yourself. I mean, to use, just to continue in that metaphor. And then the more you are able to experience. Right? See, it, it's funny. There's a, there's a story that, or a, a mushroom, an example that goes around, and, um, and I really don't care for it but I'm going to tell you it because I think that what that is saying is what I just told you, okay? I don't know if you've ever heard this, but they say, you know, there are people who, um, you know, that, 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 that everyone essentially goes to the same place, right? But when you get up there, basically you're learning Torah. And if you weren't into Torah in this world, when you get up there, like the people who are really into Torah are like really like bugging out in the next world, but, you know, if you were bored with it in this world, then you're going to be bored with it in the next world, and it will almost be like hell for you. 
So again, I don't know if you've ever heard that. That's that's very that's a popular thing among certain circles. Again, I it doesn't speak to me at all, you know. But what I think what that's saying is what I just told you. That 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 the idea is that to the extent that a person is interested in like the more expansive things in this world, the more they develop in this world, the more nerve endings, if you will, that they get in this world, the more they're able to access the opportunity of the next world. And if they didn't develop it, then the next world still will probably be amazingly awesome, but not not what other people are experiencing, right? Because they didn't take an interest in it in this world necessarily. So hopefully that clarifies that, but maybe you never had an issue with that metaphor to begin with, so I don't know. But anyway, so, so, but moving on. There's also a happy ending for all of humanity, right? Because all of humanity ends with Mashiach, right? Which is, which is what God had in mind before he created the world to begin with. Again, something very, very important. The idea that this world is evolving, Right? And, and, and to me, the most potent way of expressing this is just that the, we know that, that, that the Torah itself is a blueprint of creation, is the blueprint of creation. So the first word of the Torah just contains so much. And we're going to get into this a little bit more and bring it back now to Parsha's bow in a moment. So the first word of the Torah, again, is breishis, which means beginning. And beginning means what? If you say that this is the beginning, what does that mean? That means there's a middle and an end. So the very first word of the Torah is telling us that all of us in our lives and in the world itself, in, in, in civilization, in, in like the history of the world, is in a process. The very first word of the Torah is telling you this is the beginning. It's going to culminate in an end. If there's a beginning, there's an end. Right? And that's the happy ending that's awaiting all of civilization, right? The whole world, all of humanity. Okay. So now, let's just take a moment to review and then we're going to go deeper. So, what did we say? We said that basically all of life is our relationship with God because everything else can be stripped away, but that can never be stripped away. As long as a person is alive, they have this relationship with God. Right? That's, that's for starters. Number two, the idea that we have a soul, we're Adam, right? That the ultimate darkness is expressed if we don't have the Aleph inside of us. And that a person themselves is what? An Aleph plus, you know, an Aleph plus Dam, right? We're flesh and blood plus this animating Aleph that's inside of us. That makes Adam. That's our soul. And that the soul itself is like a wave attached to the ocean. And that's the that's the, that's the godliness inside of us. And that people have godliness inside of them, but a person is not God. Right? There's that distinction. Okay. And then we went further and we said that if a person, since they're an outpouring, a repository, right, of godliness, if a person is experiencing pain, that's God sharing his pain with you, so to speak. And that what a privilege, what a compliment that God is coming to you with this particular issue. Right? An amazing, an amazing way of looking at things. Okay. 
So now, and I'll tell you one more thing, just because it's a, it's a related teaching on this subject, which I think is very interesting. This is from the Chernobyl Rebbe. And he's, he talks about something called a fallen love, which is, which is that God wants us to love him. And one of the ways that he gets us to love him is that if we don't have that consciousness, right, what he does is he gets us to get really enamored with, like, um, physical things, right? Like, for instance, you might see, like, a diamond, like, piece of jewelry. You might go, oh, wow, it's so beautiful. I love that, right? Or you might see a car or something like that and go, wow, that's so cool. I love that. And what God is doing at that moment is trying to arouse within you a state of love for you then to go, oh yeah, I love God. That's right. That's right. So, so to speak, it's almost like there's like this, like this, um, this fishing line with a hook being lowered down from heaven, right? And it looks, what does it look like? Looks like a Maserati, right? Or something from Tiffany, right? But, but oh, it's just for you to look up. <laughs> you know, it says, it says that um, one of the sort of more bizarre um, uh, things in the Torah is, um, is that at a certain point in, in the desert, there were all these snakes, and the snakes started like biting the Jews and everything like that, and they were like really sick. And God tells Moshe to make a snake statue out of copper. Right? So Moshe makes a snake statue out of copper. Right? This sounds like some weird idol worship kind of thing. Right? You know? And he holds it up and he tells everyone, look at the snake statue. And everyone who looked at it was cured from their snake bite poison. So the commentators are like, what is going on? This doesn't sound like Judaism at all. This is like, what is this? And, and the explanation is, is that what happened was the snake statue was just um, designed to get people to look up toward heaven. And once they looked up toward heaven, they were able to go, oh yeah, all my healing comes from God. And that's what, that's what healed them. So this is a form, so to speak, of that. This is what the Chernobyler is saying, that certain material um, aspects in our lives sort of like are resonating with a love and, but they're not there for us to just sort of like fall into that mindset, but to remind us to love and then to bring that love to a higher love, back to God, right? So that's another way that, that God is sort of like above to below, interacting with us on that level. Okay. Now let's, let's go to Parsha's bow for, for a moment. So Parsha's bow... It's, uh, you know, one of, I'll just tell you one of the most famous things about Bo. Bo is Bez Olive, which is, um, which is three, right? Bez is the number two, Olive is the number one, so that adds up to three. And there are three plagues here. So that's just like one of the cool things that the commentators point out, right? We have the locust darkness and the death of the firstborn. So anyway, that's, that's just one little thing. But, um, but, but 
on a, on a deeper level and more uh, in what we're talking about right now, this bow is, 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 really, is really interesting. You see, Bayes, Bayes is the human condition. Bayes, like, basically, like, really, really gets at the core of what's going on. See, I said that the first word of the Torah, the Torah is the blueprint of reality. The first word of the Torah is our entrance, our description of everything that's basically going to happen. And then the whole word Breshis itself can be balanced on the first letter of Breshis. In fact, the entire Torah can be balanced on the first letter of the Torah, the letter Bez. Why? Because Bez is talking about all the aspects of this world, what it means to be in this world. Bez, again, is two. It stands for good and evil, right? Because once you're in this realm, there's this sense of two-ness, like the whole idea is that, what do we say? We say, We have to remind ourselves, right? That God is one. But when we come down into this world and open our two eyes, right? By the way, the Medr says that. That's not me. They say that the Bay stands for two eyes, right? So, and it says that you're supposed to use your two eyes in the following way. One, in order to see the greatness of God. And two, to understand our position, not, not our lowness in a, in a um, self-hating type of way, but just our, our, to contextualize our position within the, the, the greatness of the infinite, our own finiteness. But, but Bayes, Bayes is also man and woman, right? It's two. Bayes is also um, heaven and earth, right? Um... And getting even deeper, Bayes is also free choice. Because I can do this, one thing, or I can do that, a second thing. Right? Which is really what it means to be alive in this world. To be a person with free choice. All of these things are expressed in the very first letter of the Torah. Bayes is also the rabbi's darshan. Another way of saying, by it, bait like uh, if you pronounce it in a more sort of traditional way, it would be the letter bait. I'm saying bays because that's the Ashkenazi pronunciation, but really you would say bait. So bait and bayat are kind of the same word, right? That this world is a house. But you know what else? Your body is a house. Your body is a house for the soul. So, so the idea is to take all these things, to take the entire confusion of being in this world. Bayes basically means multiplicity. Bayes means not Aleph. Because two means not one. Right? See, the rabbis ask a very, very deep question. Why didn't the Torah begin with the letter Aleph? Right? Remember, Parsha's bow is Bez Aleph. Why didn't, why, why does the Torah begin with the, the word Breshis? God could have spelled Breshis. God gets to decide how to spell any word. <laughs> you know, by the way, one of the interesting um, uh, uh, innovations of Webster's Dictionary when it first came out, 
was that he formalized uh, English spelling words. Like basically, people were spelling, they were, everything was um, phonetic. Everyone was spelling every word differently. And then Webster came along, he put out this dictionary, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is how you spell that. You know, and you see something, by the way, going on in the Torah world right now because of the art scroll Talmud. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Aramaic obviously isn't really spoken by, I mean, I guess a few people speak Aramaic these days, but, but among Jews anyway, Aramaic hasn't been spoken for 2,000 years. And yet the Gomorrah is in Aramaic. So you've had people learning Gomorrah in Aramaic for a couple of thousand years in different parts of the world. People are pronouncing different words different ways, right? And along comes the art scroll Talmud, and it's vowelizing the Aramaic. So now all of a sudden it's sort of like, just like when Webster came along, all of a sudden we're saying, okay, well, this is how you actually pronounce that word in Aramaic. So there's this formalization going on right now that is kind of historic, and I don't know, I don't know if anyone's noticing it. Well, I guess we are now. But <laughs> just uh, another contribution art scrolls me. Um, but let's get back to this. Why not begin the Torah with the letter Aleph, right? And then I'll, I'll tell you something even more shocking. You know, the, the rabbis actually give the answer why they didn't begin the, the Torah with the letter Aleph. Because they said, Aleph stands for Aror, which means curse. Now, it's sort of like, that almost sounds heretical. You know, like, we just talked about the holiness of the Aleph, how Aleph stands for God. What do you mean that Aleph? And this is, you know, going back a couple of thousand years at least. What do you mean Aleph stands for Aror, curse? How is that possible? And that's why God didn't begin the, the Torah with the letter Aleph. So I want to offer an explanation for this which is that, you see, what's the difference between us and the angels? The angels have no free choice because they have this quantumly higher revelation of godliness, which means to say that while they can't see the totality of God, only God can see the totality of God, but nonetheless, compared to what our understanding of God is, theirs is radically higher. But as a result, they don't have free choice. Right? As a result, they don't have free choice. So, so, so they can't serve God by overcoming challenges. That's why it says, I mean, something that's stayed with me, I think it was the Chofetz Chaim, who says that when a person wants to speak Lashon Hara, right, they want to say something inappropriate, and they stop themselves from saying something inappropriate, that it's that the angels gasp in envy of a human being, right? That we have this amazing opportunity to actually overcome some obstacle to serving God. Because for them, it's just, they're just swimming in the light. You know, it's just like, you know, there's no even thought to do anything other because, you know, there's God, right? It's so clear. So now I think that's the key for us to understand why Aleph would stand for our curse. Because our whole glory of being human beings is the fact that we have this level of concealment in this world through which we're able to activate free choice to choose the right thing and to transcend our limitations. 
And from that comes all the reward that we receive. All this amazing stuff that's saved up for us comes from us exercising free choice in the proper way. So if we just had this olive and no free choice, that would be a curse for us. Is that clear? So Bayes then, they say, no, God wanted to start the Torah with the letter Bayes. You know why? Because Bayes stands for Baruch, which means blessing. So that's the blessing of the Bayes. Is on the one hand, it's very confusing because we see two-ness in the world of oneness, right? We see multiplicity when there's only unity. On the other hand, it's, this base is Baruch because it's the blessing through which we're able to serve God in a way that the angels can't even serve Him. Okay. So, now let's take one more step and we'll start to wrap it up and put it all together. So, Bo, the next letter of Bo is the letter Aleph. Bez Aleph. Now, what's the where did God put the first Aleph? The Aleph that, so to speak, should have gone at the very beginning of the Torah. Where did that Aleph, which should have gone at the very beginning of the Torah, theoretically, right? Where did it go? It went someplace. It did go someplace. You know where it went? It's the first letter of the Ten Commandments. The first letter of the giving of the Torah is Anochi, right? Which means, uh, I am. In fact, there's a, 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 a debate whether the, the first commandment is actually a commandment at all. Because according to some authorities, it's just a, de a declaration of God telling you, I exist. Anochi, I am. And remember, when the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, it was given in the most amazing way, like with pyrotechnics, thunder and lightning and earthquakes, and the whole mountain was on fire, right? And we could see words and hear colors, right? This thing called synesthesia. Like, and it says that our souls flew out of our bodies, right? And by the way, all of this is coming to support what I said earlier, because you see that what happened was when we got this olive, it was sort of like we left our humanity. <laughs> so, so, and by the way, the Ishvitzer says something interesting. If you take the word anochi and rearrange the letters, the letter chaf in Hebrew is a prefix. It means like. K in the beginning of a word means like. So anochi is the letters ani, which is, okay, you're bugging out, right? Your souls are flying out of your bodies. You're like, you're hearing colors, you're seeing words, right? This is just a little taste of me. God is saying, this is, I mean, this is just like me. You know, it's like you haven't even seen anything yet. So, and then the flowers break out, the mountain breaks out in flowers. You know, I, I, it's, it's actually just occurring to me right now. It also said that the mountain was on fire. So maybe it was like another burning bush experience where you had like all these flowers on the mountain which were on fire and not being consumed. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if anyone is, a, I, don't know if, I don't know if anyone says that, but, but you know, just kind of combining Midrashim for a moment, you know? Um, because God speaks to Moshe through the burning bush and God was speaking to us like at the mountain. Who knows? I don't want to strain it, but, but, but maybe. Um, 
So what's the point? The point is that that this idea of Bo and Bo Para, because God says to Moshe, go to Paro. What is Paro? Paro is like all the problems of the world. And you know what? We also have a Paro within us. This aspect of us, which is absolutely unyielding and intransient, right? This aspect of us, which has seen miracles with our own eyes, and we know it's true, right? And yet goes, Uh, Yeah, maybe, but no, I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah, no, but I can't, I can't, right? So God says, go to para, right? Like, life is para. Getting out of bed is going to para, (laughs) you know? Just trying to do the right thing and finding it within ourselves, that's going to para. And what is that dynamic of going to para? That dynamic is that we take the bays, which is ourselves, that's the bayat, that's the house, that's our body, right? That's us, that's our free choice. That's the struggle of good and evil. That's our two eyes. That's the greatness of heaven and the lowliness of man, right? That's everything. And to use that bays in order to find the aleph, which is in this world, that's the Torah, that's God. That's our own souls. To be able to take the standpoint of the physicality of this world and to drill down and to see through it and to reach the godliness which is animating ourselves in the entire world. That's Bo. Bez Aleph. The Bez of creation, the Bez of Breshit, this entire physical realm that we see. To use that as the entryway to find the Aleph, the Torah, that's animating absolutely everything. Even ourselves, even our deepest problems, which is just God whispering to us what he's going through, according to the Sassover, right? So, all right, so, So, you know, I'm going to tell you a story just to end it. And um, I can't really stop telling this story because it's just, um, it, it, it just, like I say, it just, to me, this story just contains everything, you know. I think I even told you last week, but as, uh, as Reb Shlomo would say, it's always good to hear again. So the Rishina Rebbe, when a, really all the other Rebbe's went to see the original Rebbe. He was like the dean of the Rebbe's. And um, he had a number of sons. I think it was four sons. Maybe it was five sons. I'm not sure. They all became Rebbe's. And so the short cover Rebbe, who was one of his sons and one of the lines that came from Rishon, he was a young boy, maybe five, whatever it was. And he was outside his father's study. And there's a person who's sitting there who's just, you know, in the worst, worst, worst shape. And he sees he goes in to speak with his father, right? To have with the Rebbe. He comes out and he sees this man who looked like he was at his end. Is like now he's, he's like smiling. He's like, he's like looking good, you know? 
So this little boy says to him, what, what, did my, what did my father say to you? And he says, your father said, Hashem will help. And the little boy says, well, what are you going to do until Hashem helps? And his face falls. And he says, go ask my father. So he goes back in, and then he comes back out, and he's looking great again. <laughs> he said, what did my father said?" And he said, your father said, until Hashem helps, Hashem will help. <laughs> and I believe that this is all of life. <laughs> I believe that this is all of life. And I can tell you from a personal standpoint, there are things in my life that I didn't do this on purpose, but I think on some level, probably most of us do this, again, not on purpose and not rationally. But we identify something in our life and we say, you know something, without that, how can I even go on? If I don't have that, how can I even continue to exist? Just existentially, you know? And yet, what happens? Here, I'm, here, I, here I still am. I can point to you certain things that I just couldn't imagine that, that I could be without. And here I am without those things, and here I still am. So what does that mean? Until Hashem helps, Hashem will help. <laughs> meaning to say, meaning to say that the great challenge for us, I think, is um, just just to love and to do kindness and to never stop appreciating how beyond, 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 beyond this world and God is. Right? Like, I, I remember hearing Rabbi Shlomo say many times with, like, pain, he would say, why are you making God so small? Why are you making God so small? You know? It's not that we're small and God is big. We're huge and God is way beyond huge. <laughs> and as I learned from Rabbi Green, just he put it so importantly, God is not a bigger, smarter, more powerful version of us. God is beyond, 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 beyond. Right? And the amazing thing is, is that we're like bigger than the sun, each one of us. So the actual scale of existence, when we begin to contemplate what the true scale of existence is, it's exciting. It's exciting. It's exciting. And that has to be our headline. That has to be our headline. The fact that we're in the middle of an amusement park and every ride is free, more or less. You know? And don't stop running. Right? Okay.